Lord is good. Tonight I want to talk to you about grace, favor, and truth. And uh, we're going to try to make it fast so we can get through all of this. We always joke because all of my notes, uh, whenever I send them to Jessica or the production team that puts the notes up, you know, I send them, sometimes I send them multiple, multiple notes. Uh, tonight you're getting off easy, though. It's only nine pages instead of uh, uh, called down from the original 33. I like to have plenty to say. I just never have time to say it. <laughs> and so um, to begin with, I just want to start off with Isaiah chapter 6, which is a, something I felt this is not in my notes. So I reserve the right to uh, add to my, my notes, to whatever the congressmen say to append append my speech, or whatever they say. Anyway, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. I had a friend, a dear friend, that helped us actually go to Russia many years ago, and he said, uh, reading Isaiah chapter 6, he said, in the year that King U dies is when you will really begin to see the Lord in your life. And so you can ch chomp on that, King U dies. So he says, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne. The train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim. These are uh, fiery uh, angelic beings, each with six wings. And it goes on, and they were calling one to another in verse 3. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the threshold shook. And the temple was filled with smoke. And Isaiah says, Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Don't think that just because you live around some people that really need Jesus in their life, that somehow your life is contaminated by it. You know? Au contraire, mes amis, it's very important for us too to um, be like a tea bag in hot water. You know, sometimes when you put uh, vegetables in hot water, they kind of turn to mush, potatoes, carrots, that kind of thing. You leave them in there long enough, they get too soft, right, mushy. But a tea bag you put in hot water, what does it do? It affects the water around it and turns it color, right? So we should all be tea bags for Jesus, amen. So you get in hot water, you get in around people, you know, that are difficult to be in. They're, you know, turning the heat up on you. But you can change the very atmosphere with Jesus. Amen? My lips have seen the king. Even though he's dwelling in the midst of a people of unclean lips, he says, I'm ruined. I've seen the Lord. But my eyes have seen the Lord. The Lord Almighty. And so then God sends an angel and flies with a coal from off the altar and touches his mouth and says, and says, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. And then he heard the voice of the Lord. A lot of times, if we can get rid of sin in our life and receive the cleansing from the heart of God, cleansing from our sin and, and confidence towards God, if our heart doesn't condemn us, we have confidence towards God, First John says. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, there is no condemnation, right? And if you learn to walk in Christ without condemnation, 
then you will be able to hear the voice of the Lord more clearly. Very often, your own condemnation, your own sense of guilt is what prevents you from hearing the voice of the Lord to commission you because the Lord wants to send you. Amen? He wants to commission us and send us places for him. Who will go for us? The heavenly court. And I said, here I am. Send me. And he says, go tell these people. And he gives them a difficult message. A difficult message. The beauty of this thing is uh, the Holy One of Israel, the holiness of God, God being holy, is one of Isaiah's favorite uh, phrases to use in regards to God. And yet, we have to understand that, okay, yeah, God is holy. And very often we think holiness means separation, right? This is what we've heard. If you've been in Christian, Christendom for very long, you think that God's holiness means he is separate and apart from you and unapproachable. He's what older theologians would have, would have called the holy other, right? W-H-O-L-L-Y, other. And yet, here we see a picture of God in his holiness coming closer to Isaiah, right? And we've heard Pastor Ron say a similar statement. When the earth was left without form and void in its original creation, what, what did God do? The Spirit of God began to hover all over the face of the waters, and then God speaks, and he brings order out of chaos. That's what God does to our lives. Even though he is holy, this is a, a description of his nature, but we have to understand that God's holiness is not separation from us. It is just an aspect of his true nature. And in fact, when we read and understand the scripture, God's holiness doesn't prevent us access. It actually gives us access. Because he sends his holy son to us to die on the cross for us, to take away our sin. What for? So that we will stand before him uncondemned. So it's based on a false, what we call etymology, which means the derivation of the root words. It's actually a false etymology. And it means that God is actually approaching. In fact, Isaiah understands that God has actually moved when in his vision of the temple, he has his face on the ground. He sees the Lord high and lifted up, but you know, it's this humbling aspect, and yet God is approaching him. This is not original with me. This is Dr. Peter Gentry and a French evangelical theologian named Costacalda. But the idea is not that God separates himself from us, but that he moves closer to us to embrace us with his nature. And so Isaiah records, in the Hebrew records, that God has moved from what the Hebrew calls his holy place, the holy of holies, so to speak, and has come into the great hall, which is where the doorposts are, and that's called in Hebrew the hey call. So God has actually moved closer to Isaiah, not farther away. So don't think that God doesn't want to get close to you. He longs to be close to you. Amen? 
And he, and, and as we humble ourselves before him, then he moves closer. So in John 1.17, we see Jesus is full of grace and truth. The law was given by Moses, through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So we're going to talk about grace and favor. God's grace is, even in his holy nature, he moves closer to us. He moves closer to the problem. Jesus didn't shy away from the sinners. Amen? The adulteresses and the adulterers. And, and he didn't shy away from them. He reached out to them. In fact, the message of grace that Paul tells the Corinthian church, which uh, Corinth was rampant with all kinds of sexual immorality, Paul says to them, he says, he lists this whole litany of different types of sinners, there were, and he says, and such were some of you. But now you're washed, you are sanctified, using the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew kadosh, you are holy in Jesus Christ. So John describes Jesus' glory and parallels love and faithfulness in Exodus 34, 6. I want you to notice the phrase there, grace and truth. So this is derived from the Old Testament phrase, which means the same thing. It's in Hebrew, it's hesed, v'emet, all right? Grace and truth. Look at Exodus 34, 6. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, hesed, and faithfulness, emet, grace and truth. Hesed is another way of saying grace. Love refers to gracious covenant love, and faithfulness refers to faithful words or truth. So the glory that Moses sees in Exodus 34, 6, where the Lord proclaims before him, the Lord, the Lord, a God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, this is the same glory that John saw in the Word made flesh, who is Jesus Christ. These are important concepts. So Exodus 34, 7, God keeps steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. You say, I knew it, I knew it. There you go. God visits the iniquity to the third and fourth generation. He's a punisher God in the Old Testament. This is actually an early church heresy called Marcionism. Not that the word of God is not true, he does visit iniquity, but he forgives, right? But who does God keep his steadfast love and faithfulness to? How many generations? Thousands, it says it right there in the same verse. So on one hand, God does not willingly afflict the children of men, and he blesses the righteous to the thousandth generation, is another way of saying it, 
but only visits punishment on the wicked if they continue in their wicked ways to the third and fourth. Even God's judgment, even in his judgment, he remembers mercy. Amen? It's a beautiful thing. Just meditate on it. And then when you fall on your knees before God, asking him for his help, then realize his steadfast love, his hesed, his faithful covenant love, and his faithful exercise of truth will continue with you and your family to the thousandth generation. And you need to embrace that truth. Look what Exodus 34, 8. That declaration of God's nature inspired worship on Moses' part. Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. If you want to know how to motivate your own heart towards true worship, get a grasp of God's faithful covenant love and mercy and faithful truth. Grace and truth comes through Jesus Christ and he is filled with it. Contrary to what people think, the old covenant God is not he's not evil. He's rich in grace, love, and faithfulness. I think of how in Deuteronomy 7, 7 it was not because you were more in number than any, any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you for you are the fewest of all people. Sometimes we think we have to earn God's respect, but it's because God loves you and is keeping the oath he swore to your fathers that he will bring you out of Egypt. Jesus himself grew in the favor of God. He increased, Luke 2.52, in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and men. So let me ask you a question. How do we obtain favor? When I was, uh, and I, I appreciate everybody praying for me um, during January when I went to visit my sister who uh, passed away last Thursday and uh, spent a lot of time with her in hospice and just we were able to communicate. God gave her the ability to be lucid with me and we shared and we prayed and we smiled and the Lord was so good and thank you for praying. But as I went to Canada, I was worrying about how I was going to get there. Not in terms of flying. I knew I could fly, but I didn't know how I was going to be received at the border. Are they going to let, you know, what, because of all of the stuff that's going on, right? And I thought that it, because it's very possible that you can be selected right at the airport to go into mandatory two-week um, quarantine and I'd be sitting there for two weeks doing nothing and then after that I would have been allowed to do something which I couldn't afford the time nor the money and it would just be a heartbreak and I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and I asked God for favor please God please Lord give me favor and every day I was there I found favor I found favor at the border. I found favor with the hospitals. I found favor with the hospice. I got a $400 parking ticket because of a mix-up, and they refunded my money. My sister 
My sister, because she had been in the hospital since September and because my brother and his wife both died on the same afternoon, the end of October, they couldn't pay her bills and my sister was incapacitated. She couldn't pay her bills. So she owed over $5,000 to the apartment building in which she lived, not to mention other expenses. Do you know they forgave every single penny of it just by God's grace? God's grace, I knelt by my bed in the mornings and cried my eyes out and prayed, God, please give me favor. Give my sister favor. Give your servant favor. And he did. If you want favor, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Seek his face. He rewards those who diligently seek him. I'm thinking about Abraham who was commissioning a servant. Go find a wife for my son Isaac and don't you dare take him back to, back to where we came from. But you go find somebody from my own kindred and my own household. Yes, sir. And he piles up a whole bunch of camels and he sets out and he gets into Mesopotamia and he, and he sees a bunch of women gathering at the well to, ga to gather water and he prays, oh Lord God, please give me your favor. Show your hesed to me. And he, and he describes very specifically, he says, please, please let whoever I ask to, to, uh, for, for a drink of water, let them also water my camels as well. And, and sure enough, here comes this young girl, beautiful young girl, and she gives him water, and then she waters all his camels. And he's standing back going, oh, God, thank you, God. And he says, who are you from? And she says, well, I'm, uh, you know, and she names like her lineage and where, what family she's from. And she's, he says, blessed be the Lord who has shown his hesed to me, his grace to me. And he quickly gives her a whole bunch of bracelets. You know, that's what God does when he finds you as his bride. He blesses you with gifts along the way and clothes you with new clothes. And all the way that you're going back to the Father's land for that beautiful marriage supper that's waiting you with the promised son, he is giving you gifts all along the way. Come on! Come on! And we have to accept those gifts. And we have to believe and hope for a better future because our Lord has betrothed us to one. He has espoused us to his Son. And Paul the Apostle said, I, I, I'm the matchmaker and I have espoused you to one husband, even Christ. What a beautiful story. You have to be, be specific. Obedient willingness. Let me get the, the red points. How do we obtain favor? Number one, obedient willingness to make a journey. You got to be able to go where God sends you. Secondly, specific prayer for favor. When's the last time you prayed specifically for favor? I learned something in Canada. I learned that God listens when we ask him for his favor, and he grants it. At the border, whenever I was crossing in and at the airport and going through customs, immigration, and stuff like that, I'm, I'm seeing the very last gentleman, it's sort of like the last, 
the last gate before I actually get back into my own country, so to speak, you know? And he says, and, I, and I, they gave me this giant piece of paper, and at the top it says, you are required to take a COVID test before you leave the airport. And it talks about quarantine. I said, what do I have to do about this? Where can I get the COVID test? And he looks at it, and he says, oh, you don't need to do that. You weren't selected for quarantine. And I said, I almost couldn't believe it. I, I almost couldn't believe it. Really, I, caught, I got caught in this like state of almost unbelief. And I went, my sister's dying. Because I had all my arguments, you know. You know, I had, I had thought through this, you know, and I was going to present my arguments for them letting me in the country and not wanting me to quarantine and everything else. And I felt like, i got to say something here. And he said, no, you're not under quarantine. You could go. And I almost wanted to say, but I have so many good arguments. <laughs> God will do that for you, amen? <laughs> Specific prayer. Then, giving and receiving gifts of grace, as I mentioned. Receive those bracelets. Amen. Those gifts that God wants to give you along the way. And, and then, it's accompanied by worship. The man bowed his head and worshiped the Lord and said, the servant, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken, get this, his steadfast love and his faithfulness toward my master. Wow! Can you hold on for another five minutes or so? So what does grace or favor or covenant hesed or faithfulness and truth, what does it do? What do these things do? We often think that grace is, well, the standard definition is grace is God's unmerited favor to those who don't deserve it. And that's right. Or we use the acronym God's, G, riches are A, at, See, Christ's expense, God's riches at Christ's expense. Just to help us sort of define what grace is. But grace is more than this. Grace is an, an ability. I know this sounds strange, but I want you to think about this with me. Because grace or favor enables us. It's an enabling force to help us do the work of God, to labor in the gospel and establishing of churches. 1 Corinthians 15, 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Grace is an enabling force. Secondly, grace or favor gives us gracelets of the gifts of the Spirit. This is not original with me. It's from back in the 80s in the Vineyard Church Movement. I think maybe John Wimber. The gifts of grace are gracelets, right? So the charismata, the charismata. 1 Corinthians 12 through chapter 14. The charismatic gifts are gifts of grace, divine enablements by the Spirit to accomplish the preaching of the gospel and edifying the church. There's three kinds, really. You can break them down this way. There's many ways of saying this. Speaking, gifts, prophecy, tongues, interpretation, knowledge gifts, words of wisdom, word of knowledge, discerning of spirits, and power gifts, miracles, 
Gifts of miracles, note the plural, by the way, working of miracles, plural, and the gift of faith. Thirdly, grace or favor trains us or instructs us. How does grace instruct us? For one thing, we have the perfect example of Jesus, who is grace and faithfulness. And he's full of it, full of grace and truth. Titus 2.11, the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people. The grace comes in, grace and truth comes by Jesus Christ. Verse 12, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace trains us to renounce the bad stuff. Why? Jesus is such a great gift. How could we do any less? Grace and favor, fourthly, controls or restrains us. Verse 14, the love of Christ in 2 Corinthians 5, the love of Christ controls us since we have concluded this, that Christ died for all, therefore all have died. And so then we say that we should no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died for us. The grace, the love of Christ, another version says, restrains us or constrains us. Number five, grace and favor provides things like salvation. By grace you're saved through faith and that none of yourselves. It's the gift of God. We also talk in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 about the gifts, the gift of giving. It's a grace Giving is a grace. May God give us all grace to be givers. Amen. Givers of our time, our talent, our treasure. Number six, grace gives and receives in a variety of expressions and means. Just as one has received a gift, so use it to serve one another as good stewards, managers of the variegated grace of God. And number seven, grace gives skill to build and restore people's lives in a living dwelling of the Lord. The Apostle Paul said, according to the grace given to me, like a skilled master builder, I have laid the foundation. But someone else builds on it. And so he goes on. Did you get anything out of this tonight? May the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you, and give you his abundant chesed and his covenant faithfulness. And Father, we seek you for your grace tonight. We seek you for your favor in Christ Jesus. We receive the gracelets that you've blessed us with. Please let us use them to help one another and to call sinners to repentance in Jesus. I so bless these dear people and thank you for the opportunity, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord.